Ata Maria, welcome to First Up. It is Ramere, that's Friday, the 30th of September. Ko Nathan Rarere, aho. Coming up, the eastern United States is being hammered by one of the strongest hurricanes in decades. Uh, we cross to the States to find out the latest there. A correspondent in Africa tells us the, the story of a very tragic accident in Morocco. And if you catch a fish or find a bargain down the veggie market, one Auckland chef's offering to whip it into a restaurant-quality meal just for you. And we talk about flying spacecraft into asteroids with James Parr. And that's the language they say. It's the one act of God we know we know what to do about. Um, <laughs> and I heard another one the other day, which was, this one's for the dinosaurs. <laughs> Maria, welcome to Friday. Wowee, uh, we, we're out of September after this, so we're just squeezing the last little bit. We're rolling it like, you know, you get your toothpaste out at the end of the tube. And uh, what a big day we have got today. We turn our attention first off to um, the United States uh, state of Florida. Hurricane Ian there is battering the place with powerful winds, huge storm surges that it's flooded communities uh, along the southwest coast too. Video footage from the cities of Naples and Fort Myers showed floodwaters sweeping away cars and swamping houses. More than one and a half million people are without electricity at the moment. Here is Governor Ron DeSantis. Right now, if you look in central Florida, you're looking at potential major flooding in Orange and Seminole counties, uh, St. John's River, all the way up potentially into, into northeast Florida and Jacksonville. The amount of water that's been rising and will likely continue to rise today, even as the storm is passing, uh, is basically a 500-year flood event. And I know Seminole County has has, has done evacuations. I know they've issued, uh, opened shelters, uh, but uh, we're going to see a lot of images about uh, the destruction that was done in southwest Florida, and obviously we have massive assets there. Uh, but people should just understand this, this storm is having broad impacts across the state, and some of the flooding you're going to see in areas hundreds of miles from where this made landfall um, are going to set records, and that's going to obviously be be things that um, uh, th- that will need to be responded to. CNN's Randy Kay is in Fort Myers, which is in Florida's southwest. We are seeing a lot of water still and a lot of very concerned residents. There has been a steady stream of residents here uh, in this community. We are in North Fort Myers. The Caloosahatchee River came through here and just walloped this this community. Describe People uh, here we spoke to, they were describing it as uh, a wall of water came crashing through their door, crashing through their windows. Uh, you can see it's still pretty deep here. Their personal belongings are just all over the place. Uh, even right here, uh, there's a pair of pants just missing, just laying there right in the street. And a lot of neighbors have been helping neighbors. The Cajun Navy was here as well. Uh, these boats, we're seeing them all around. People have been helping uh, just rescue their neighbors. Fire uh, rescue was here also searching, uh, knocking on doors, seeing if they could uh, do some search and rescue, see if people had um, had stayed here during the storm. We have a drone shot too that we could show you just overhead of what this community looks like. And you can see how much water. The problem is, is that people were really surprised by this because they thought that it was going toward Tampa and then it ended ended up coming uh, this way. And if you take a look here, uh, you can see just how strong the winds were. Uh, This is a shed over here uh, in the distance, and that was just obviously straight up on somebody's property and just got uh, blown around by the force of the wind. People were not expecting wind. They were expecting some storm surge, uh, but the wind here was quite strong. We spoke to a fair amount of residents this morning, and uh, this is what one uh, very emotional uh, young woman had to tell us. 
It's very flooded. It's ruined, completely ruined. The fridge is on the floor. The couches are turned upside down. The toilets are on the floor. There is water seeking in our cabinets. Everything's flooded. Everything is ruined. We grabbed, you know, what we could most of, but we didn't think it would be this bad. We came here and we spoke to uh, one woman who was 80. She's 85 years old. She was in her home when this all came through. She was bounced around, thrown around by her own furniture that had gone afloat and threw her up against the wall. She had bruises all over her and she was taken to the hospital uh, by friends and neighbors. And here is Mariam Mashiri of the BBC. Here in Tampa Bay, things are a lot calmer, but that's because the storm has now moved more mainland where cities and towns are being destroyed. In places like Fort Myers and Naples, streets have been flooded, cars have been submerged, and homes completely inundated. And of course, there are more than two million power outages now across the state of Florida, showing how widespread the damage has been. President Joe Biden has now approved a major disaster declaration to release federal funds to rebuild all these areas, all these mainland and southwestern coastal areas that have been affected by this storm. But for now, the governor has said we're not quite there yet. It's still a difficult day ahead. It's 10 past five. You're listening to First Up here in RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarere. We will have more from the United States later on in the show, but currently it's time to cross to Africa, uh, where our correspondent Chris Okamringa is waiting for us in Kinshasa. Kia ora, Chris. How are you? I'm very fine, thanks, Nathan, and you? Good, thank you, sir. Tell me this, there's a high-profile trial that's underway up in The Hague. What What is that about? Well, one of the alleged masterminds and uh, financiers of the 1994 uh, genocide that occurred in Rwanda, a uh, country in East Africa, uh, started at the UN Tribunal in The Hague. And uh, <clears throat> the man who's in the eye of the storm is known as Mr. Felician Kabuga, He's charged with genocide, um, uh, public incitement to commit genocide, conspiracy to commit genocide, and extermination. He was one of Rwanda's richest men in the early 90s, and he's accused of using his status as a rich businessman to buy machetes and provide them to death squads to carry out killings. He was also a founder of a radio station known as Radio Television Libre de Mille Collines, which is said to have broadcast very hateful messages against ethnic Tutsis. Now, that genocide in 1994 claimed the lives of about 800,000 people within three months. And so many people, the victims especially of these killings in Rwanda, are very closely following this case and hope that justice will be served. Uh, Prosecutors are expected to call more than 50 witnesses in a trial that could last years. 800,000 people. That's just uh, horrific to hear about that. Um, Let's go to Morocco now. 20 people have died in an accident there in quite a horrible way, Chris. What's led to this death? Well, so these people uh, are said to have drank uh, some toxic alcohol and uh, dozens of uh, them have been hospitalised after consuming this uh, alcohol from a roadside kiosk in northern Morocco, um, the Directorate General of National Security in Morocco says has issued a statement saying that the police have arrested a 48-year-old man in connection with the incident. Uh, they said they found um, some bottles of the alcohol uh, in his backyard, and uh, they are holding him for <clears throat> for this uh, c- crime. 
The hospital has also, the hospital in Morocco has received bodies of nine victims and the death toll rose to 19 on Wednesday and their fears that other people uh, who consume this alcohol may die. So people are very, very worried in Morocco about this alcohol uh, whose source is not very clear. Chris, I just want to ask if, if you know there, I mean, obviously, I think it's quite a, a strong Muslim country, so it's it's hard to sell alcohol there. These little roadside stalls that set up to sell it, though, are they are they very common? Well, they're not very common, but <clears throat> like you mentioned, uh, Moroccan law prohibits the sale of alcohol to Muslims. But, you know, it's found in bars and some restaurants. It's sold secretly. And so people who know where to find it go and get it. It's, it's something that's illegal, but it has been going on for quite some time. So do they import this alcohol to sell or is this something that, the, you know, that they make themselves and then they don't really have a, an idea of how strong it is? Yes, according to uh, officials in Morocco, this alcohol was made by some of the locals who know how to to make uh, this. This it's homemade, and that that's why it hasn't been certified by authorities, and has led to the deaths of people who consumed it. Oh, it's very sad. Okay, we'll go to uh, Nigeria now. There's a separatist movement which is gaining a foothold there. What can you tell us uh, about that? Yes, so the officials in Nigeria say five soldiers and a civilian have been shot dead in the southeastern state of Anambra. Uh, Insecurity there has really been uh, a problem for quite some time. They are people who want to break away from uh, the government of Nigeria. uh, And they're saying that uh, about 100 members of security forces have been killed since the beginning of this year. So there's a lot of violence happening in that region. And um, the government has banned the separatist movement called the indigenous people of Biafra. Uh, but, you know, they have weapons and they have continued causing a lot of unrest in that uh, in, the, in Nigeria. The group is seeking to separate uh, because of uh, some issues about uh, the sharing of resources and also their religious faith. So that is what has been happening in Nigeria. So, Chris, why do they why do they want a separate state? Well, you see, Nigeria is a country that has a lot of economic, I mean, resources, oil and uh, other resources in the country. But these people are saying that the indigenous communities are not benefiting from those resources. It goes to the central government, which has been given the constitutional right to share it across the country. But they're saying they do not receive anything. That money ends up into the pockets of corrupt officials in the government. So they're saying they want to break away and and be able to enjoy the benefits of of their their, 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 their natural resources in their country. Right. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for your time, sir. There he is, uh, Chris Okamringa, uh, joining there out of Kinshasa. Well, um, a, it is quarter past five. You're listening to First Up here at RNZ National. A pre-season poke in the eye had sidelined the breakers' captain, Thomas Abercrombie, on the eve of the Australian National Basketball League season, and that tips off this weekend. The breakers will be without their veteran leader, who can't fly for seven weeks as he recovers from surgery for a torn retina which was picked up in an incident in a pre-season match against Brisbane. Felicity Reid has more. Tom Abercrombie still only has 50% vision out of his left eye thanks to a stray arm from former NBA player Aaron Baines. Baines is back in Australia suiting up for the Brisbane Bullets this season but Abercrombie still has no clear idea on when he'll be back on court. 
Following emergency surgery, Abercrombie now has an ear bubble in his eye to help with the recovery process. I could theoretically go and play right now, but I just can't see anything. Um, so it needs to get to a stage where um, essentially I can see well enough to, to play. I'm hoping that'll be maybe in a few weeks' time. If it's half the size it is now, I'll be able to see enough to play basketball. Um, but I really don't know until I get there. But yeah, unfortunately there's nothing I can do to take it out or hurry it up. It just kind of sits there as my little little friend in my eye. The Breakers open their season away to Melbourne United on Sunday and have six of their first ten games on the road. Abercrombie is grounded on this side of the Tasman until the middle of November, something he admits is frustrating for him and a challenge for the team. It's obviously not a very favourable schedule for us to start with. We're on the road a lot in October, which doesn't suit me very well. But um, going on the road now has a different feel to it because we know we're coming home, so that's exciting. But also different as well. You know, as the guys found out going to Darwin, it's um, it's not easy travelling from New Zealand. You know, every, every road trip is a long trip, and we haven't done that for a little while. So it's a, it's a bit of a, an adjustment getting used to that that travel regime again. New coach Modi Mayor is also facing a squad in disarray days before round one. Along with Abercrombie's injury, Will McDowell-White and Barry Brown are injured, and a bout of sickness took out the team's three imports from yesterday's practice session. Mayor says the injuries have come at a bad time. You want to have your kind of core, you want to have your uh, your base and your foundation. You're still in building mode at the beginning of the season. and This is not when I would want the injuries to happen, but you don't choose them. They are when they are, we just adjust to the circumstances. Mayor says they won't look to bring in a replacement player as cover. Like our roster, it's deep. Um, we have players who can step up and do more, Sam Tim and Sam Fotu. Um, so this is what an opportunity looks like. If you're a young player and you're ready, you did the whole preseason, you did your work, this is when you take advantage of the situation. The Breakers will play two games in Christchurch this season. That was Felicity Reid with that story. It's 19 past five here. I'm Nathan Radade and you are listening to First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, uh, we'll have more on Hurricane Ian Uh, with our correspondents uh, in the United States. And also stay tuned uh, for a look at the weekend sport. And also, he's here. The Minister of Fruit and Veg arrives soon with the fruit of the week. Wake up the kids. There they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. Some as big as your head. Even bigger. Um, Probably watermelon, I think. It's... um, it's Friday. It is time to hear from the man himself, who is, I believe, still up in the big city. He's the Minister of Fruit and Veg. He's uh, Glenn Forsyth, who's with us right now. G'day, Glenn. How you going? Morning, Nathan. Very well, sir. Yourself? I'm really good, sir. But why are you in Auckland City? What's your week been like? Oh, it's it's been busy. Yeah, shivers. Two, nearly two weeks. So yeah, no, it's great up here. Enjoying it. Enjoying it. Perfect. Now, um, did you make your way out to the end of the Northwestern Motorway to have a look at a new shop with a big fruit section? Yeah, yeah. Costco is underway now in New Zealand, number 839 store worldwide. And surprisingly, they range fresh fruit and vegetables, only about 80 skews. So at the you know, pre-party Tuesday night we went along to, I didn't spot any cabbage, for example, and just the one line of Coomera. But that means in season and good value, albeit large portions. The only things that were loose were pumpkin, butternut, pineapples and massive bunches of spring onions and asparagus. But everything else was in a bag, punnet or tray and think big, like the 24 rose bouquets were exquisite. But my favourites were the one kilo bags of cauliflower and broccoli floral. However, Nate, completely ad lib here. Hit yes. us with three random questions about your favourites or otherwise and see how we go. 
Okay, uh, big grapes, grapes, lots of grapes. Okay, grapes, yes, red or green available, and they were in 1.4 kilo punnets. A 1.4, who's eating a 1.4 kilo punnet? I bet, <laughs> in fact, no, one of my daughters could on the way home quite easily. Um, she might spend some time in the, in the smallest room in the house later on, but she would definitely do that one. Um, yes. I suppose I suppose my beloved peaches and peacherines, they're well out of season, aren't they? So probably not them. Uh, the, no, no stone fruit yet. The only one there was USA plums. Yes, and they were also in 1.4 kilo punnets. Okay. And also, too, people love just, you know, the, the, the very most basics and the, the spuds and the carrots. Were were they in the fruity section? Fruit? Yes, yes. They, they, they featured, sir, potatoes, five kilo bags, and, and lotatoes were available, and onions were available in five kilo bags. Yeah, so all in all, pretty good. Um, yeah, that, that's, yeah, so have a, have a nosy if you're free. I did. Um, <laughs> got a tire changed. It was very good. Got a puncture done. Hey, t- oh, now um, you know, you know, dietary um, dietary input is is looked at quite heavily now. Uh, the Sky Tower was lit up purple at the start of the week for Mental Health Awareness Week, and and fruit and veggies, Glenn, they're they're good for your state of mind, aren't they? Oh, fantastic. Throughout the year, fresh fruit and vegetables feature in many beneficial campaigns and even on a lot global scale. And this week, as you're saying, it's Mental Health. Awareness Week and Dr. Rua, and how's that for an app name? But a five plus a day uh, charitable trust partner says that while many factors can contribute to feeling low or stressed, we sometimes forget the importance of healthy kai to our brains and bodies. Mm. Fresh produce is packed with a range of anti inflammatories and antioxidants that contribute to good mental health at any age, especially if you do more than five plus a day and cover off all the colors of the rainbow as well. Research shows mental health issues can start before adulthood, so start young. Uh, Serve up, fresh, uh, serve up fruit and vegetables instead of processed foods. Sliced kiwi fruit, he was saying, on the breakfast cereal. Carrots in their lunch boxes. Uh, roast kuma at dinner time. Forget the sugar hits and dangerous ingredients and junk and processed foods. Go for the natural, slow-burning energy and nutrition in fresh fruit. And use all of the vegetable, like the goodness and roughage for your body. And the skins and stems are often the most effective part. And celery leaves in a soup, for example. I mean, yum. So plenty more info on the 5 Plus A Day New Zealand website about Mental Health Awareness Week. You wild man. I've never heard of celery leaves in the soup before. I'll have a look at that. Clean time is against us. We're going to have to jump straight to the fruit of the week. Uh, Glenn, what's your fruit of the week, sir? Okay, let's get into it. It's our very own Tangelos. Mm. I can smell my fingers yeah. already. Yep. Oh, I remember you mentioned the other the other week. We wanted to wait a couple of weeks, but they are in season now and super juicy and refreshing. Uh, take your time to peel them. You kind of have to pick the skin off in little bits like a scab, but by crikey, they taste good. Uh, yeah, so look at those. The best fruit buys, oranges, avocados, green kiwi fruit this week, vegetables, um, high in supply with cucumber, celery, white butter mushrooms, and kumra. So, yeah, sorry for running out of time, but that's all we can mention, and asparagus is getting on in supply. Here. Uh, that's right, Glenn, love you. Good on. There he is, the, uh, the Minister of Fruit and veggies, the best in the business. He's right amongst them right now, just sniffing them. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Last day of September, and it has been since they came up with September. Uh, let's have a look at what happens on this day. Happy birthday to celebrities. Uh, Formula One racer Max Verstappen is 25 years old today. Tennis star Martina Hingis is 42. And um, Johnny Mathis, 
The song Wonderful Wonderful is still absolutely wonderful. So Johnny Mathis turns 87 years old today. This is the day that in 1955 James Dean uh, was killed in a head-on collision with another vehicle. It's also the day in 1960 where for the first time people went, oh, it's pretty good, driving around with bald feet. It's the Flintstones. Uh, it was the first animated series created by Hanna-Barbera. That went okay for them. On this day in 1967, the BBC's new Radio 1 station for, uh, first aired, and this was a response to a whole lot of pirate radio stations that were actually playing pop music at the time, and the BBC went, OK, we'll play music. And the first song they played, by the way, in BBC 1 was Flowers in the Rain by The Move. There you are. And on this day in 1982... Cheers debuted on NBC. So like a lot of the shows we hear about that go on to be amazing, it was nearly cancelled at the start because no one was watching, they weren't quite sure about it. Cliff Clavin was one of my all-time favourites there, played by John Ratzenberger. He was auditioning for the role of Norm, uh, and halfway through the audition, it wasn't going well, so he said to the producers, is there like a part that'll be a know-all guy in the bar? And they went, that's quite good. Let's add him to it. And that's where Cliff Claving came from, the postie who would always show up and try and correct things. And see, that was the fun of going somewhere before Google could just take any conversation out. And that is the day of our life we like to call the 30th of September. Joining us now from our business team is Ananzaki. Kia ora, sir. How are you? Very well, thank you. Okay. Um, t- tell me, what's going on in the camper van operator world? I see you want to talk something about that. What, what are they doing? Oh, so the wild west of the camper van, <laughs> camper van operator world. Um, look, it's uh, Tourism Holdings, um, which has the Maui and uh, the Brits camper van brands. Oh, yes. They have um, so they've cleared the last big hurdle to its merger with uh, Australia's Apollo Tourism and Leisure. You'd see the Apollo camper vans as well. So um, the regulator across the Tasman, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, um, they've followed our Com- Commerce Commission and given the deal uh, the green light, uh, subject to. Uh, both uh, both sides divesting some of their assets. So Apollo will uh, sell various parts of its motorhome operations to the Juicy Group for $45 million. Now, the merger has been in the works since last December, and it's taken longer than expected to sort of uh, satisfy the regulators' concerns about uh, denting competition because they are two very big operators uh, uh, in both sides of the Tasman. And also there's there's been some change terms uh, of the deal to acknowledge um, a rise in the value of some of uh, Apollo's assets. So uh, earlier this week, Tourism Holdings told us that uh, the divestment uh, would not affect uh, the fundamental business case uh, supporting the merger. Uh, Tourism Holdings says uh, there, there's still some other conditions to the proposed merger, but the regulatory approval uh, is seen as the most significant step. And they, they now have, uh, you know, they're much more confident in the merger actually going ahead. So uh, looking ahead, the merger still needs um, what's expected to be relatively straightforward approvals from the Australian Foreign Investment Review Board, uh, Apollo shareholders and the Supreme Court of Queensland. And the merger uh, is expected to be completed by the end of the year. 
that's, you know, that's one of those things that in the COVID world, I just got so used to not seeing, I'd almost forgotten about, you know, the the wonderfulness of driving through the Napier Topol Road and sitting behind a Maui van for a good, um, it seems like nine hours uh, stuck behind them because you can't really get a decent pass going there. But, well, there we go. Exciting times coming up and uh, good they're holidays. Back. Yeah, they're back, everybody. Holidays for people. That's good. Mind you, I drove one once and now I totally understand it. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much. Ananzaki uh, there and you can hear more from our ex Excellent business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. Here is how the New Zealand dollar is trading around the world currently. It is 57.1 US cents, 87.9 Australian cents, 58.3 euro cents, 51.5 British pence, 4.06 yuan and 82.4 Japanese yen. Time to talk about the news up there, Space News, with James Parr from the Open Space Agency. And just a couple of days ago, an incredible piece of maths happened. NASA flew a small craft into a large asteroid, which is a little bit like throwing a dart from miles away and hitting the board perfectly. Right, James? Well, yeah, this is the double asteroid redirect test, which uh, is, is DART. So it's a pretty good acronym uh, by oh, NASA standards. They're interested in planetary defense. So this is this um, category of asteroids. So it's called dimorphous. It's about the size of the Great Pyramid. And essentially, Earth gets hit by one of these asteroids on average every 100 years or so. Oh. And they, they're called city killer asteroids. The last one of that scale they think was the Tunguska event in Russia about uh, 1918. That sort of, on average, you know, because of the number of these asteroids in the solar system, we can sort of make a sort of finger in the air calculation on, on how often Earth gets hit by them. Yeah. And so NASA NASA was interested to see if we could move one, so change its trajectory, and this is what they did. So they accelerated the DART spacecraft after spending months sort of looking at the big asteroid, which is called Didymus. Once they'd finished the sort of investigation of the of that asteroid, they decided, okay, let's accelerate the spacecraft and see if we can move the small one, Dimorphos. And so that's what they did yesterday. They accelerated it to about 14,000 miles an hour, and <laughs> boom. They hit it no, right in the middle. They, they I mean, hit it, yeah. The footage was yeah. so impressive. So, so I've, I've got a couple yeah. of couple of follow-ups here. Is there another probe that can look at that one to see what's happened? And also, is this actually just code for, oh, by the way, there's a really big one coming not too far away, so that's why we had to <laughs> test this one? Yeah, so the first one, they actually there is. I haven't seen it, but I was talking to a colleague who said there is footage looking at the probe hitting Dimorphos, and so you see this little plume. And, of course, they'll be using that to see if they have successfully changed its orbit because change in orbit many years in the future, then, of course, it only has to be moved you know, a tiny amount for it to easily miss the Earth. And this is because the scales are so enormous. Right. Even um, like a small change in trajectory means that it'll miss the Earth. And, of course, we are doing this in theory years in advance we're making making sure these things don't present a, a threat. In terms of the, I guess, scaremongering, the <laughs> truth of it is, it's going to happen eventually. You know, this is statistically inevitable, and we know it happens. We have it. You know, we had the dinosaur event, which was a, obviously yeah. a, a enormous, um, one sixty-five million years ago, and then there was one. Uh, we now realise that one hit Greenland about twelve thousand years ago, which was the reason why we lost the megafauna, the uh, saber-toothed tigers, and the the, the mammoths. Oh. 
So we are, we are absolutely, you know, this happens. And of course, you look at the moon, you can see you know, how often the moon gets hit by asteroids and other things. So it's sort of statistically inevitable. But the thing is, the size is the thing which matters. So Dimorphos is the one that sort of hits every 100, 150 years or so. So that's, of course, why we're creating the strategy. But the Didymus one, that's a sort of once every 10,000 years. That's a much bigger thing. And, of course, that would be present a much bigger problem for us. We wouldn't necessarily be able to move it just by accelerating a spacecraft into it. We need to think of another strategy. And we've actually done work on this about how you might have to move something bigger. And so, you know, ultimately you want you probably have to do Bruce Willis style, um, you know. Yes! Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> that up, seen not too, yeah, it's not too far from the truth, actually. No. Um, <laughs> It's pretty cool that they've actually shown they can actually do this. They, in, in NASA language, they say it's the one act of God we know we know what to do about. Um, <laughs> and I heard another one the other day, which was this one's for the dinosaurs. Um, so, <laughs> oh, they've been practicing their lines. <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah. I don't know if you remember, man. I I did the opening of that movie Armageddon. And we were at the St. James Theatre, and they'd, they'd done it as if the whole theatre, they'd done it up like a movie set, as if it had been hit by an asteroid. Oh, and, wow. And, you know, they had all these civil defence people and stuff, and they had fireworks going off and that. Yeah. And then the, uh, where I'm seeing the movie, we go, okay, so sit back, relax, and then these two guys come running on stage dressed in fire gear going, no, no, we have to stop, we have to evacuate. <laughs> and people start booing, because like, I just did the movie on! and that. No, what, it, what had happened was the fireworks fell over on the roof and set fire to the roof of the building, and the building was on fire <laughs> <laughs> so we had to get out of there <laughs> oh anyway hey i'm um, fine just a, just a, a very quick one here and this one's coming i think two people worry about recycling and rubbish and what have you and you know being custodians of, of the planet or the universe i guess what happens mm. to space debris so you know rocket companies do they have to have a plan when they send things up yeah, so this is uh, the big new era of space sustainability, which actually New Zealand is leading on. But for essentially the last 50 years, mm. we've been pretty lackluster in terms of sharing uh, what's called the shared, the shared commons, tragedy of the commons of near-Earth orbit. So we've basically treated it like the ocean. Nobody owns it, so then therefore nobody cares about it. Mm. So consequently, we now have this real problem where there's numerous bits of debris which are floating around and of course there's been some other anti-satellite tests which have created more debris and we're really getting concerned because debris tends to create cascade effects and so you might have heard this phrase the Kessler syndrome where the nightmare scenario being that that debris hits debris hits hits debris and it all cascades and essentially we end up with this um, sea of, of steel bullets um, aluminium bullets, you know, travelling 17,000 miles an hour, which would mean we'd be trapped on Earth forever. That's oh. the fear. So what's happening is that spacecraft operators now have to essentially have a, an end-of-life plan. So they need to be able to deorbit their spacecraft and have like a, a rationale or a plan about how to do this. But there's also entrepreneurs who are saying, well, actually, there's a whole host of spacecraft that was put up there, which never did have a end-of-life plan. And so we're going to learn how to deorbit these things. And they've used harpoons and nets and solar sails and drag sails and all sorts of things to sort of figure out how to actually deorbit junk, which is up there. So over the next few decades, this is going to be a big push to see if we can really start to clear out low-Earth orbit, because certainly... We don't want to be trapped on Earth forever. And, of course, low Earth orbit's hugely valuable for GPS and Starlink yeah. and, you know, all, all sorts of other things. I did hear that someone say that icing sugar 
might actually be the perfect solution. <laughs> so icing sugar, icing sugar is a fine powder. If we just doused icing sugar and put that in lower orbit, there might be a kind of a, a year or so where it's just icing mush. But eventually, <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, the spacecraft would get sort of like get stuck, and then they'd sort of fall out of the sky. Oh, perfect! Um, yeah. So you heard you heard it here first. The icing did. sugar. Icing yeah. Sugar. Let's go icing yeah. sugar. Let's get get Bruce Willis on that one. That's James Parr. Time to catch up with all that's going on in the sport, this world. It is Joe Porter who's with us now. Kia ora, Joe. How are you? Morena, good, thank you. Yourself? I'm good. I just wanted to know, obviously, um, the, the big uh, hurricane in the States there, mm. big in. nothing ever stops the NFL, but they have, I think, a couple of team NFL teams there in that state. Do, do you know, surely they, they couldn't be even thinking of playing, could they? Well, I haven't seen any cancellations yet. I did a quick Google search for coming in here, and it's only been a th- few days ago where they were talking about possibilities. Obviously, the, <clears throat> some of the teams have all relocated the ones in that state to Miami to practice. I'm not sure how badly Miami has been hit compared to other parts of Florida. So whether or not they can play these games still remains up in the air, but they haven't cancelled them yet. And like you say, the NFL, the show will go on if they can. Wow, unbelievable too, and of course got all the uh, uh, the college teams there too. That's incredible. Let's talk about something that is going on, but it sort of goes. Uh, it's the rally of New Zealand. Uh, people love gathering to hopefully get sprayed by a bit of gravel. What's what's happening in the rally New Zealand at the moment? Well, they started yesterday, so they began the event in the host city of Auckland in the central city with a super stage, which is on the tarmac. That was won by Hyundai's Ott Tanik, so he's taken the early leader, but it was really just a sort of ceremonial sort of start to the event. And today's the big league, really. It's called the Monster League. It's out near Raglan, the Whanga Coast in Waikato, uh, near Te Ako, and it is one of the most scenic and breathtaking stages in all of world rallying. Uh, it's one of the ones that has sort of captured the hearts of, of many fans around the world over the years, and it's regarded as one of the WRC's sort of greatest stages. So that is something for rally fans to really look forward to. Obviously, you know, you've got breathtaking scenery out there along that west coast near Raglan, so it sort of skirts along the Tasman Sea. It looks absolutely beautiful, and of course, it's they're quite long distances. The, today's day makes up, I think, over half of the three-day rally, so it actually turns out to be quite an exciting day, and if you, can, if you manage to be out there watching, there's some pretty high speeds these cars will reach and of course Rally New Zealand hasn't been on the WRC for about a decade so for anyone that is a motorsport fan in New Zealand this is a fantastic event to have come back this soon after the pandemic and I believe there's a whole host of sort of um, other stars there as well the likes of Shane Van Gisbergen competing so it should be very interesting. Yeah, and of course we always go, yay, uh, Hayden Panda when he's in, even if he's even even if he's just watching a rally, uh, he's my guy, and uh, and I've got him there. Now I saw an interesting uh, coaching appointment made. So the All Blacks are going to the Northern Hemisphere for a tour in about 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 a month's time, but there's also this All Blacks 15. Can you tell me <laughs> what do you know about All Blacks 15? And I see Leon McDonald is is going to be the coach of that. Well, All Blacks 15 is essentially New Zealand A, just renamed All Blacks 15 for obvious marketing purposes. Okay. You know, it's it's essentially another All Blacks team created so that the All Blacks, although they're not the All Blacks, play more games and make more money. It's a Silver Lake initiative, largely. Um, and 
essentially it's just just like it's the All Blacks 7s now they're just trying to you know capitalise on that All Blacks brand but it's, it is a New Zealand A team which hasn't been around for a while um, and they'll go and play two games on a November tour against Ireland A and the Barbarians the Barbarians is going to be played at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium which is kind of interesting I guess mm. and of course you've got Leon McDonald the Blues head coach former All Black coaching the New Zealand A or All Blacks 15 side against the Barbarians who will be coached by Scott Robertson I believe they're former teammates from both Crusaders and the All Blacks so there's a sort of I guess that's maybe a sign of how small New Zealand rugby is possibly, but who knows? It's uh, it's a nice little interesting matchup they've got going on there. So the, the All Blacks 15, it's not a captured team, so it's not actually as official as a New Zealand A team would have been in the past. If you'd played for New Zealand A in the past, you would have then had to have played for New Zealand or you would have you know put your allegiance with New Zealand. Uh, this team won't be, so if players do play for the All Blacks 15, that doesn't capture them for New Zealand. They can still go and play for Pacific Island teams, etc, etc. So I guess that's possibly quite a good thing. Otherwise, this team could be seen as uh, possibly by some cynics even more uh, you know, of a way of just stopping any good players from leaving New Zealand or making themselves available for others. So I guess that's uh, and You've got to see a, who's in a good it first. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, Ian Foster's already said there's going to be no crossover in squads between the All okay. Blacks and the All Blacks 15, so it's going to be an entirely different set of players. So it really is a New Zealand A side that's going to run around on their own, play a few tests, make a bit of extra money for New Zealand rugby. Lovely. Uh, Liam McDonald, Scott Robertson, and I believe Jason Ryan bid for a job a couple of years ago. So <laughs> interesting. <laughs> funny Thank you. Uh, yeah, funny enough. Thank you very much, Joe Porter. Cheers. It's a quarter to six, and Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. So still to come between now and the end of the show, this really neat story about an Auckland chef uh, who's um, getting into the business of BYO food, uh, and we'll be crossing live to the States where Bevan Hurley has the latest on the situation in Florida and also the news from the Big Apple. Professionals of Morning Report are up after six. We're going to have a look at what is happening on the uh, programme this morning with Guy and Espinar. Kia ora, sir. How are you? Kia ora, very well, thanks. Big international focus this morning. Obviously some big international stories around Hurricane Ian. Uh, we're starting to see uh, a death toll emerging there. There's at least one person has died. There's a catastrophic destruction, really, in Florida, so we'll be crossing there for the latest on that. Mm. Russia, big moves in the war in Ukraine. They're going to today hold a ceremony to formally annex these four occupied regions, so we're going to see how that plays out. There's also another a leak, another damage in that Nord Stream gas pipe, so that's all really heating up there. Still massive pressure on Truss in the UK with her tax cut package which has led to this plummeting of the pound. Uh, she's hanging on. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a local look at, at tax cuts too with Nicola Willis because National is promising big that's tax thing, cuts. Yeah. How's that going to play out in this sort of environment? Yeah. Um, we're going to look at that and we'll have our political panel, which we do every Friday now. Plenty to talk about there on a week where the polls have showed a real neck and neck race for the next election. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I know, I, I think I heard the other day, they go, oh no, it's different. Our tax cuts are different because the economy's different. So yeah, so one, we'll dig into why, that and is, see whether that stands up. Why is the economy different? Wonderful. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, look, uh, we've, um, we've all heard of BYO restaurants, but an East Auckland restaurant is taking it one step further and allowing customers to bring their own ingredients for the chefs to cook. So for a small fee, they will whip you up a restaurant-quality meal with whatever fare that you bring in. How good's that? We sent our reporter Leonard Powell along the Pakaranga Highway to meet the man behind it. After seven years running Lucky Grill Seafood in the East Auckland suburb of Highland Park, Takiyu's son decided he'd turn the whole concept of a restaurant on its head. Now, 
Customers are able to bring in their own ingredients, anything they like, and he and his team will cook it up for you to your specifications. Sun, as he goes by, says the concept is about helping people through these tough financial times, but it's also good for business as it gets more customers through the door. I meet him at his restaurant as he prepares to open for lunch service. Just making them saving money, saving time, and then make family happy and business survive. This is what I want until they get better. Some people might bring in food they've caught themselves or from a good deal they've found at the market. Sun then talks with them about how they'd like it cooked and how much they're able to pay. The price is, I can make a restaurant survive and also make them easy. We win, why not? It doesn't cost very much, to be honest. It just costs my labour, but if I, I, I charge not much for labour. Another positive is that the restaurant has less perishable goods in their fridges. Sun says customers have bought everything from abalone, crayfish and crab to a whole sheep to be shared among 20 friends for $40 a head. Yeah, they bring the whole sheep. <laughs> I put it in the oven because I got, I, got, I got one customer who just bring their own, own sheep. Because my oven is quite, quite big, like space, uh, a space capsule. <laughs> but I, I charge them just like a max $40. They're happy. But the biggest challenge so far, Sun says, has been pig intestines. Tero tero, in, in, intestine. Some people, they love, love that kind of stuff, but, but I can cook that too. They, they love a stink, you know. <laughs> but you need to spend lots of time to make the tendons, like probably three hours, boil it and some herbs. And, so um, I would charge a little bit more for that because I need, I need to spend time to clean and something like that. And it doesn't have to be a fancy meal by any means. Sun will happily cook a simple dish for as little as $10 per head. The restaurant still operates its regular menu too, with just 10% of its meals currently the BYO style. Sun says one regular customer doesn't have time to cook, so often drops off ingredients in the morning to pick up later. Before start to work, they would, they would drop off to me and then I say, oh, just come back when you finish work. Then when you, before you finish work, you just give me a ring and then I will cook before 15 minutes. So I make sure that, that everything is fresh and nice and bring it home, every, everyone happy. As we finish our chat so he can get back to his morning prep, Sun says he's optimistic about the future of his business and is excited about helping people eat well at prices they can afford. What's the point you can work for money, entertainment and eat, right? If I can make that easier, I think they, they can spend a little more money for the other other things, you know, could be good things, it's not just making money. Love that idea, just bring a whole sheep, just chuck it in the oven, there we go. Uh, of course, uh, the big news this morning is Hurricane Ian, uh, Bevan Hurley is in New York City right now, uh, which luckily I think is, you know, well, you're know, probably not seeing any effects of it up there at the moment. Kia ora Bevan, how are you? Kia ora, Nathan. Yeah, doing well, thanks. No, no sign of any uh, hurricane up here. Okay, that's good. I do see there's an atmospheric river apparently heading off towards Great Britain and Ireland off the back of this, and um, that's that's not a good experience. Wow. But tell me, what what can you tell us uh, stateside uh, about what's happening in Florida? So just a few minutes ago, uh, Nathan, Florida officials confirmed that six people had died um, from Hurricane Ian. That death toll is unfortunately expected to rise quite substantially. Um, so the Category 4 hurricane slammed into southwest Florida yesterday afternoon with winds reaching up to 240 kilometres an hour and 12 feet 
tsunami-like storm surges. Um, this is one of the most devastating hurricanes ever to hit Florida. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is calling it a one in 500 year event. And um, a, a local sheriff this morning told Good Morning America that there are fears that hundreds may have died. Uh, the worst of the damage was on the southwest coast in areas around Fort Myers and Naples, with nearly 2.5 million homes and businesses um, across that part of Florida without power. Uh, drinking water systems have broken down completely and key infrastructure has been um, pretty much wiped out. Uh, there were some really remarkable images coming through on the cable news networks and um, platforms like TikTok. We saw you know, wildlife such as sharks and uh, crocodiles being washed away into residential areas. Um, Two-story homes were completely submerged. And um, just to add to the sort of general danger for residents, um, we saw some flames and, and black smoke above Fort Myers this morning as some houses were apparently um, engulfed in flames. So the search and rescue operation is underway in force this morning. There are 50 National Guard helicopters out looking for the many thousands of people who are stranded or missing. Um, Joe Biden has declared it a major disaster, which will free up significant federal funding um, to, to sort of add to this rescue effort. Um, the president also confirmed he was in close coordination with uh, DeSantis uh, this morning. Um, now, early estimates for the cost of repair, uh, repairing all the damage is being put at 260 billion US dollars. Um, so this is, you know, this is right up there. Um, and in spite of the danger, you know, many Floridians, um, as they do, took to the streets yesterday to po post videos of the uh, approaching storm. And this included um, Lara Trump, the wife of Donald's son, Eric Trump. Uh, she put a video to her social media accounts of her five-year-old son driving his toy car out in the midst of heavy rain and said that this was um, going to be character building for him. Um, the uh, tropical, uh, sorry, Hurricane Ian has been downgraded to a tropical storm, but the danger hasn't passed. Um, it's now threatening other states along the eastern seaboard, and governors in Georgia, Virginia, North and South Carolina have already declared states of emergency. And of course, these hurricanes are being uh, exacerbated by the ongoing climate crisis, Nathan. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and down that area too, in southern Florida, of course, it's, you know, we're used to, you know, people go, oh, Miami Vice with all the fancy buildings and Ferraris and stuff. But actually, that's not the case at all down uh, around that area, areas like Hialeah and that as well, like you get a large immigrant population that have come from Central America and the Caribbean too, particularly over from Cuba. So um, I, I guess, uh, Bevan, too, that's, that's a lot of concern because those people aren't living in terribly robust houses where perhaps you could send your five-year-old out in a toy car, eh? That's absolutely correct. I mean, I guess, yeah, that, that sort of eastern side um, where we, you know, think of Palm Beach and um, Mar-a-Lago and places like that, that, is, that dodged the, the brunt of the storm. Mm. So this is really affecting some of those lower, lower socioeconomic areas, yeah. Uh, just give me a minute on uh, the fact that New York City is going, yeah, we don't care, we've got a giant who can hit dingers. Who is Aaron Judge? Tell us about his record. Aaron Judge, he is uh, the superstar in baseball at the moment, I, I think it's safe to say. On uh, last night, he hit his 61st home run of the, of the season, tying a 61-year-old record that was set in 1961. So I imagine a few Yankees fans might be getting uh, 61 tattoos uh, today. Um, he reached the record against the um, Toronto Blue Jays uh, to secure an 8-3 win. And, of course, that, that those high-flying Yankees had already clinched their place in the playoffs. Um, but Aaron Judge, he is 
a um, pretty impressive figure, you know, something of a rarity in American sports, um, despite, you know, looking like a, a sort of a movie star with his, with his good looks and his six foot seven frame. He is the ultimate team man. He's always putting um, the results ahead of his personal stats. And he, um, he, it, there'd been a sort of a bit of a soap drama going on about whether or not he would uh, reach this mark because it's been a week since his last uh, home run, but he did get there and, and it was magnificent to see. Yeah. And I mean, for anyone going, what do you mean? Just, you know, the name Babe Ruth? Yeah. Well, he's, he's hitting better than Babe Ruth did. There you go. If that's your grazing knowledge. Bevan, thank you very much for your time. Look, that is all that we um, have got uh, time for this morning. And uh, yeah, just um, our very best to anybody who has family around those areas uh, that have been hit, of course. Yeah, it did pass through the Caribbean. And one of our listeners going, what about Cuba? Why aren't you talking about Cuba? Yeah, you're right. Um, but it's easier for us to get contacts there. This was the very first song that the BBC One ever played when they were doing music. Isn't that nice? Morning Reporters next with Guyon and Corin. Have yourselves a wonderful weekend. Nick Truebridge is with you next week when First Up returns.